1: Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com
2: Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Today we're going to take a look at the church that was located in Sardis. The church was located in Sardis and there's a, there's a unique aspect of the letter to this particular church that you may notice while we read it. It's Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Let's give our attention to God's word now. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What would it look like if Satan took control of a city? Over half a century ago, the Presbyterian minister, Donald Gray Barnhouse, offered his own scenario in his weekly sermon that was broadcast nationwide on CBS radio. Barnhouse speculated that if Satan took over the city of Philadelphia, where he ministered, where he pastored, all of the bars would be closed, pornography would be banished, Pristine streets would be filled with tiny pedestrians who smiled at each other. There'd be no swearing. The children would all say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And the churches would be full every Sunday where Christ is not preached. The point is this. The point that Barnhouse was making is that the devil has no problem with the appearance of success, even in the church, so long as Christ Jesus is not central and the Holy Spirit is not present. And this was the problem for the church in Sardis. This was a church that was known for being successful. It had a reputation to that effect. But the Lord Jesus saw something different than those who were, you know, around the area saw when they look at this church in Sardis. The Lord Jesus did not see the church that so many thought was alive. In fact, he said that this was a dead church. These are harrowing words that come from the Lord Jesus Christ. Like in every letter, the Lord Jesus pulls no punches, he doesn't sugarcoat things because he has too much concern and love for the church. And so he says to the church in Sardis, You're dead. This letter follows, in a lot of ways, the normal pattern that we have come to expect in letters with one glaring surprise, whereas every letter up to this point had had something positive to say about the church that Jesus was speaking to, Sardis is the first church where there is no such commendation from the Lord Jesus Christ. And this also is striking. So let's take a look at the letter We start with the introduction where the Lord Jesus introduces himself again, like in every other letter, using language that comes to us from Revelation chapter 1 to identify the speaker of the letter as the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who holds the seven spirits of God. To the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And you recall that from Revelation chapter 1, the meaning of this is the sevenfold spirit or the fullness of the spirit. The meaning of the seven spirits of God is the Holy Spirit. This is a picture of the Lord Jesus who is holding the Holy Spirit. And then the seven stars are the, are the is this image for the seven angels of the churches. So Jesus is the one who holds the Holy Spirit and holds the churches. It's likely that this is emphasized because of the deadness of this particular congregation. This is a church that needed the Holy Spirit to make them alive. You see, only the Holy Spirit can make you or me or any church, any congregation in any place at any time alive. It's only the Holy Spirit of God that can make a dead church come alive. It's only the Holy Spirit of God that can make a dead sinner come alive. One of my favorite illustrations of this is what Erwin Lutzer would do with his interns at Moody Church. Maybe I've told you the story, maybe you've heard about it. One of the things that Erwin would do is with some of his interns, once every time they would be going through the internship, is that he would take these interns at Moody Church to a local cemetery downtown Chicago. And he would tell them, preach a sermon. And so, you know, they would look at him incredulously, but he'd say, preach to the graves. And they would do it. And He would now provide an invitation for them to come and become a Christian. And they would look at him even more surprised and do it. Never did anybody respond. You know why? They were all dead. And here's what. Pastor Lutzer would say. He said, this is your preaching unless it be empowered by the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit does not empower your preaching, all that you can do is preach to a graveyard. There is no human power that has the ability to make someone come alive. That power is reserved for God alone. Our God is the God of resurrection, and his Holy Spirit does give life and so Jesus Christ identifies himself at the very beginning, I am the one who holds the Holy Spirit, the very thing that you Sardis needs in order to come alive. And for Orland Park Christian Reformed Church to be a church that is alive, the Holy Spirit must be the one who makes us to be alive. And so part of the prayer that we regularly should offer to the Lord is this, Lord, make us a church that is alive, not simply by reputation. But by the Holy Spirit, renew us with a spiritual power and vigor that only you have the ability to give to us. Because there is nothing in our own strength or power, there is nothing in my own strength or power that we can do to be a church that is alive. But Christ Jesus is gracious, and the Holy Spirit makes those alive who once were dead. And Christ Jesus rose from the dead... And has a tendency to do that with poor sinners as well. Make us alive even when we were dead. Then we get to the surprising part of the letter. Again, after every introduction in every letter before this one, there come words of encouragement. And yet, to the church in Sardis, there are no words of commendation. There are no words of encouragement. Every church thus far has had something positive said about them. And up to this point, the humble church in Smyrna had no words of challenge or rebuke. And actually, as Jesus begins speaking, it may sound like there are words of encouragement and commendation at the beginning, because this is a church that had a reputation for being alive. Imagine with me for a moment how it must have been being a part of the congregations who were receiving these letters. Now let me give you a technical word. The book of Revelation is known as an encyclical letter. And so what that means is that the Apostle John received these words from the Lord Jesus Christ and sent the letter. He he didn't make a bunch of different copies. He sent it to the churches, and it would go around to all of the various churches. The thing would be read in its entirety to the congregations that received them. After they had read it to their congregation, they would give it back to the messenger, and he'd take it to the next city, and then the next, and then the next. And at each city, the scroll on which this was written would be read to the churches. And so the church in Sardis, having received this letter, having authenticated that this did come from the words of Jesus Christ and from the hand of the beloved apostle John, would have heard first Revelation 1 read, and then the letter to the church in Smyrna read, and then the one to the church in Pergamum read, and then the one to the church in Thyatira read. And and it may have been that as they start hearing the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, that had been written to these other churches, that they might have started talking to each other. You know how this can start happening. So the words are read, and it may be that whispers started in the midst of the congregation. You know, I heard that Thyatira wasn't getting rid of false teaching. I heard that that was the case. You know, I, I, I've been told that Ephesus really isn't as loving as it once was. It may be that they were talking about things that were encouraging, Right? You know, those are some encouraging words to Smyrna. I'd heard that they might soon die. They're they're a poor and weak congregation. Praise God that he continues to hold on to them. And I wonder what kind of expectation might have rushed over the members of this particular congregation when they hear the words at the very beginning and to the angel of the church in Sardis write. It's our turn now. Jesus has something to say to us. Well, he knows our reputation, You know that, you know, we're widely known as being alive. I bet Jesus has some great things to say about us. I mean, think about our reputation. We got our own building. We aren't facing persecution. Oh, Jesus has heard that we are alive. And then what came next? I know your works. You have the reputation for being alive, but you are dead. This is a church that was growing. That seemed passionate. Church that may have had big plans. Big growth, a big building, big budgets. The sort of church that appears to be alive but is actually dead may have a pastor who's a frequent conference speaker. The members of smaller churches in the area might be making their way bit by bit to this large new church, but, but Christ is not preached. I'm not saying that large churches of necessity are dead. I'm not saying that churches that have a reputation for being alive are, in fact, dead. What I am saying is that God never judges by outward appearance. God never judges by human reputation. When the Midianites swarmed like locusts many years ago across the land of Israel, how did Jesus determine that he would conquer them through one of his judges? We well, chose Gideon. A man who seems relatively timid, at least, because he demanded several signs from God to even get him on the right path. And then after Gideon had amassed an army to himself, what did the Lord Jesus do? He reduced the army to 300. Just those who drank water in the oddest fashion. Those who, instead of picking up the water with their hand and drinking like this, like a normal person, bent down and lapped like a dog, only 300 people in the whole army of Israel. And God says, those are the ones I'm going to drive the Midianites out with. And then he gives to Gideon no known tactics of war and delivers the victory to the people of Israel.
1: Today's message on grounded and growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message.
2: When Jesse brought his sons to Samuel to see which one would be anointed king, he left his youngest son in the field. You see, his youngest was the little one, the runt of the family. Sure, he wasn't going to be chosen as king, but the Lord judges the heart. The Lord doesn't judge by outward appearance. That king, David, would be the greatest king of Israel until Jesus came. When all of sin and death and the devil was to be defeated, how did the father accomplish it? By lifting his voice and melting the earth? That's what he could have done. The Psalms tell us he lifts his voice and the earth melts. But instead of thundering at the residence of the people of earth, instead of lifting his voice and melting the earth, he sent a baby. He sent his son, born of a virgin, wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger. And this Jesus, how is it that he conquered By growing into a warrior and amassing a greater army than that of the Romans? No, but by dying. By dying a criminal's death at the cross. It was the moment where Jesus appeared to be at his weakest. It was at the moment where Jesus himself appeared to be defeated that he conquered. God uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And this congregation had a reputation for being strong for being successful, for being alive. But you see, the devil has no problem allowing a church to appear alive. The devil has no problem allowing a church to be successful if that church is really dead. The reputation that this church had for being alive was incorrect. They were spiritually dead. They needed a fresh infusion from the Holy Spirit of God. Let me tell you this morning that some of the most potent churches in the world right now are those that most don't even know exist. I remember hearing from some missionaries. They were working in a country that they, uh, they didn't talk about, in part because it's a place where the promotion and the promulgation of the gospel is not allowed, so they couldn't say where it was that they were ministering, where it was that they were operating. But they did talk about the process of trying to get involved with churches in this particular country, again, a country I know not which. They said that they came to this country and they began doing the task that they were doing. Missions work was was not the thing that they told the government that they were going to do, as you can imagine, it not being allowed in this particular country. So they came and they were working the occupation in this country that they had come to work, and they started spending time with people, dropping hints that they were Christians. And they said after a while, one person came up to them and started talking to them in the language of this country. He started probing to try to figure out if these folks really were Christians. And we discovered that they were. He talked about the fact that he was a part of a church. And the missionaries were very excited. Well, how do you get there? By accident, he said. (laughs) The church didn't have a recorded location because it wasn't a church that was operating legally. What he meant is that they needed to follow him surreptitiously at a distance. And so they did. He left and they watched him go. And at a safe distance to not arouse suspicion, they started following after him. And he, you know, had a zigzag path where it seemed like he was doing a hundred other things rather than going to a particular destination. But finally, he darted inside one particular door on one lonely street. These American missionaries followed afterwards. And as they stepped into the room, there was some palpable fear. But this young man said, I know them, they can be welcomed in. Where he had gone was a gathering of believers in a legal church that met to praise the Lord Jesus Christ. What the missionaries testified to was that this was a congregation that was no doubt empowered by the Holy Spirit. Facing terrible persecution, they nonetheless, as they were together, with great joy, sung praises to the one who had redeemed them, the Lord Jesus Christ. They prayed fervently and passionately, and though small in number, these missionaries testified that God was doing amazing things through this secret congregation. This is a congregation that had no reputation at all to speak of. But it's one where Christ was preached and the Spirit was present. This is far better than any worldly, worldly reputation of human success. The church in Sardis was asleep and needed to wake up, they needed to strengthen what remained, and that's what the text says. Wake up, says verse 2, and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Now, in this section of the text, Jesus is saying that the church in the city of Sardis was much like the city of Sardis itself. And it's actually helpful for us to know a little bit about the city. I I have some pictures for us to take a look at. The city of Sardis was a city that was on a hill, and and the most intense fortifications were at the top of that hill. Do you see that hill in the photograph? It's a hill that is, or a mountain that is sheer on three sides. The city of Sardis, or the the great fortification of the city of Sardis, was at the very top of of that mountain. Let's take a look at some of the other pictures here. You can see there actually continues to remain some of the walls of the city of Sardis that were built at the top of this mountain. And we got one more photo for you to take a look at. This again shows you that if you can see, there's still a little bit of the wall at the top of this mountain in the city of Sardis. A pretty sheer cliff on three sides of the city, a sloping entrance to the city on on one part, right? It was the southern entrance to the city that was sloping. What the city of Sardis believed about itself was that it was impenetrable It was perched 1,500 feet high atop a ridge that was a part of a mountain that itself was about 6,000 feet. The path of the mountain down the ridge was the only way of approach to the city, and since the other three sides were sheer walls of rock, almost perpendicular, the people of Sardis thought that they only needed to guard the southern pass. They didn't worry about being approached from any other direction. The city of Sardis gained a reputation far and wide for being a city that was invulnerable to attack. They gloried in that status. But in the middle of the 6th century BC, there was a king living in Sardis named Croatius. He was subduing Greek cities all around, but was unsuccessful and retreated to Sardis for the winter, dismissing his troops until spring. He found out that Cyrus... One of the great generals at the time had followed him back and had massed his troops on the nearby plains, but Croatius remained confident because uh, he knew that he would be safe atop Sardis until his reinforced troops arrived. But according to history, when Croatius awoke the next morning, Sardis had been overrun with Persians, and his kingdom was no more. What happened was that although the walls of Sardis were sheer... Erosion had marked them with tiny cracks and crevices that served as footholds for the Persian soldiers. If the city had been aware, these pockets could have easily been filled in or smoothed, but they mistakenly assumed that these three sides of their city were impenetrable to attack, and so they didn't post guards, much less inspect the terrain. The Persians crept into Sardis like a thief in the night. And it happened not only once, but Twice, 300 years later, the Seleucids under Antiochus III used the same tactic to capture the city again. They thought that they were alive, but they were dead because of an attack that had come like a thief in the night. The watchmen had fallen asleep in the church of Sardis as well, and because of that, the church was in danger of losing everything. And so Jesus comes with a warning, wake up, strengthen what remains. You believe that you are a church impervious to attack. You glory in your reputation of being alive, but you are dead despite your reputation. Wake up, strengthen that which remains. Even in these words of warning, we can see the great grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the city of Sardis, what they would have most needed was a warning that what they thought was impervious was in fact vulnerable to attack. Jesus is doing that to the city of Sardis, the church in the city of Sardis right now. Be aware. Be aware. You can't get by on reputation alone. The guards in your church have fallen asleep. Cracks have appeared. There are footholds for the enemy. Beware. If you don't wake up, If you don't strengthen what remains, Jesus says, I'm going to come against you. Jesus calls on them to repent. And in so doing, acts so graciously. You know, there is so much great about Orland Park Searcy. I hear a lot of good as I talk to people about the reputation of this church. One of the things that I pray is that we don't become complacent in reputation. That we don't trust reputation or programs or membership numbers. What I'm saying is that I pray we don't trust strength, but that we trust Christ. And if any one of us is trusting in our own strength, in our own power, in our own ability, in our own resources, in our own intellect, in anything, in our own strength or power, we need to stop, we need to repent, and we need to trust Christ. And there were some. There were some in the church in Sardis that that were characterized by a humble repentance and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the Lord Jesus talks about next in verse four. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy.